Hello and welcome to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. This is a show that explores the landscape of the nonprofit organization, big and small, offers some incredibly helpful information and resources, and gives nonprofits a place to share ideas and get advice. I'm your host, Joe Turner. Our show is sponsored by Sukup Strategic Solutions, offering a wide variety of services to help nonprofits maximize their impact. So let's get into solving the problems that might be plaguing your nonprofit. Hey, thanks for joining us on a special edition of Impactability. Today, we have two guests, and you're going to love this topic. It's all about stewardship. I mean, let's face it, we can all do better stewarding the gifts we receive from our donors. It's how we establish a relationship with our donors. You receive a check for $25 from a donor. You reach out to thank them, and that begins the journey. You get to know them. You deepen the relationship, and you also let them know of the deeper impact that their gifts make in your mission. That is how the relationship begins and grows with your donor. Those long-lasting connections can eventually lead to major gifts, but if you don't start with the basics, you might not realize the true potential of each and every donor that gives to your organization. So today, we're going to talk about best practices when it comes to stewardship, with some ideas on what you should be doing, shouldn't be doing, and how to get this right if you don't currently have a plan in place. Now, our first guest is Angelique Keys. She has more than 18 years of experience in both the nonprofit and higher education sectors. She most recently served as Director of Development for the Division of Student Affairs at California State University. Prior to that, she served as a Director of Alumni Relations and Engagement for McGeorge School of Law, where she was responsible for planning and delivering a strategic program for 14,000 alumni. Wow. Currently, she's the Director of Fundraising for Sukup Strategic Solutions. She holds a BS in Criminal Justice from California State University, Sacramento, which is where we currently find her. Angelique, welcome to Impactability. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. So Angelique, basically in my book, when it comes to stewardship, for me, it's all about knowing your donor first, isn't it? I 100% agree with that. So walk us through the basic steps of donor stewardship. What is it really all about? So for me and what I've learned in my experience is that we often think that it's simply thanking a donor for their generosity or acknowledging that in some way, which it is. But I think more importantly, it's really about deepening their relationship and affiliation with your organization. They gave a gift to you for whatever reason they felt compelled to. And your job is from there to not only make them feel like they're a part of the work that you're doing, but also to demonstrate the impact that they're helping you have and also demonstrate the return on investment for them. Um, And I think whatever you do, in the form of stewardship should reflect that, should reflect those objectives. Can you help us develop a donor stewardship plan? What should we do? So anytime I'm developing a donor stewardship plan, the first step I always take is to segment my donors to really look at the group of donors that I have, be it giving society or you have a major gift level or a leadership level giving that you've established down to your annual fund donors. Um, And I usually start there by breaking those up into different segments and then really thinking about what would be meaningful in a meaningful way for them to engage with my organization at what level. How you engage with your annual fund donors is going to be completely different than how you steward a donor of a major gift or a donor from your board of directors that is already really engaged across your organization. Um, So they typically have already gotten all your tchotchkes, all the, you know, magnets and coffee mugs and those things. And then you want to look at Are there other ways that you can 
acknowledge and steward your donor outside of the mere fact that they made a gift. Yes, they made a gift. Yes, they're a donor. They got their thank you letter. But do they have an anniversary of giving? Do they have consecutive years giving that have come up? And you'll often find that you have a donor that has given to an organization for 15, 20 years at a $10, $25 level, and they're often overlooked in the stewardship process. So I think you need to not only know your donor, but you need to know your donor database and donor base and who is in your donor pool and what those overarching things are that you're seeing in your organization. From there, I highly suggest you think about what your budget is and what makes sense for your donors. Um, So you really have to look at who the population you serve is and what makes sense and what will resonate the most with your donors, be it um, from an engagement standpoint or from a gift that can really demonstrate a return on their investment and the impact they're helping you have. Would you say that the stewardship that a nonprofit does is based on the level of the gift? I think it can be. And I think that's where we, most of us fundraisers and most organizations tend to gravitate towards. But I often think that we have to think outside the box. I worked at Sac State for many years. And for us, it wasn't the gift that we gave our donor, the golf balls or the coffee mugs or the plaques. That wasn't where they found the most joy and felt the most appreciated and acknowledged. It was when we would do a scholarship luncheon where we hosted them for lunch. Our president would stop by. We'd have a kid that received their scholarship or we would send thank you videos via email where a specific student would record a thank you video and say how that impacted their education and their progress towards getting their degree. And I found that it was those type of gifts, the ones that are priceless, that really, really drove stewardship home for us. But let's face it, it's a slippery slope when it comes to the amount of money spent on gifts, isn't it? 100%. You always want to be mindful because your donors that are giving 10, 25, $100,000, they are not typically impressed with the bottle of wine that you would be able to afford as a nonprofit organization. They probably have drank way better wine than we could ever think of. Um, so you don't want to go out and spend a lot of money for the organization for someone where their resources are so far beyond that, that that gift really doesn't make any connection or for them or doesn't really mean anything one way or another. You'd be much better off gifting something to them that brings a level of nostalgia that doesn't cost a lot of money, but that really brings them back to why they gave to your organization and what impact they're having through their giving through you. So let's talk about tchotchkes, you know, those all those odds and ends. Are they really worth it? It really depends. So I've worked in the past with a donor who owns a winery and instead on top of their giving to our organization, they actually hosted us. So it was like a triple down on our, on our success rate with our stewardship, because not only did he give through an in-kind gift by donating his winery, and then we were also able to get some wine glasses with our logos on it. So in that instance, the tchotchkes were perfect. I always say tchotchkes are good to have, but you have to be strategic with them. You want them to be something that really creates, like I said before, nostalgia and really is something that keeps your organization on the front of your donor's mind. The coffee mug that they use or the magnet or the pins they have in their office or the lapel pins that they wear to your events or to other events. Um, It's those kinds of things where not only are you at the front of their mind when they see it or they wear it, but also it's a point of pride for them to really showcase for those who come into their office or into their homes that this is an organization that I'm affiliated with and that I'm, I support and that I'm proud of. 
Yeah, but Angelique, how do we offset the cost of the larger stewardship gift? I think you have to be strategic for that. One, always buying in bulk. I'm really thinking ahead. It's a lot more cost efficient to buy 10 of something in most cases, especially when you're shopping for these type of gifts and custom gifts than it is to buy one at a time. Always looking to see if there's any way you can have things donated. I've worked with local trophy shops. I've worked with local golf shops who they've donated product or donated customization or different things for us as their in-kind contribution and their support of the organization. And then it offset the cost for us. And I also think just being strategic, can you pair it with somewhere else? If you have a major donor who's also retiring, it wouldn't make sense to give him a large expensive gift because he's a donor. That That's kind of counterproductive. But if he's retiring, it would make sense for someone who's made so much investment into your organization for a nice retirement gift to be given to him on behalf of the organization for his achievements and his giving at the same time. This is a great discussion about stewardship, Angelique. I appreciate your time. So tell us of a time that you stewarded a donor from very beginning to a major gift, the things you did that led you to that larger gift. Ooh, that's tough. Okay. There was a one woman who I worked with when I was at the university who had been giving a small amount each year. I think it was like $2,500, $5,000 in scholarships that she gave every year and she really didn't want much. And I used wealth screening and the tools that we had um, and general research on her and how she was supporting to realize that she had capacity way beyond what she was giving. Um, And her and I would meet often for lunch. You know, I'm a development officer, so we meet maybe three or four times a year. And she had this cat that she loves and she would always bring her cat up. She didn't have any children. Her cat was her fur child. Like she loves her cat. And so Christmas time was coming around um, in the holiday season. And I don't know what I was doing, but it's, I was doing something with my animals and I was like, we should give her something for her. Like that's her baby. That's who, that's what she loves. And she was hitting, I think three or five years of giving. I can't remember. And I worked with a vendor to get her cat some gear. So he became like an ambassador for her scholarship. Um, and we got the cat some sac- a Sac State like leash and a little collar. And we even got him a little sweater. It was super cute. And I gave that to her. And I said, you know, when we had lunch, I told her, I said, I got you something. I just wanted to really thank you for your investment in not only the school, but for being, um, she really gave me a lot of her own personal advice on, you know, stewarding donors and cultivating relationships from a donor perspective. And she really, really appreciated that gift. And from there, our relationship took off. Her relationship with the university took off a little more. Um, And she ended up doing an endowment for $290,000 and leaving 80% of her estate to the university for a scholarship. Wow. I think I spent maybe $50 total on that gift. Wow. That is outstanding. And it's stories like that that I think really helps our listeners achieve greater successes in stewardship when they can come up with those kinds of ideas. Not the normal, like you said, the bottle of wine or something like that, but the really unique gifts that shows you're paying attention. You're not just, they're not just another client. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's absolutely fantastic. And that's the biggest thing I think with stewardship. I can't tell you how many times I've had companies pitch chip clips and just items that you don't normally use on a day-to-day. And I think that's another thing you have to do, especially when it comes to chachis and gifts that you're ordering in bulk, is to be strategic, to try to get things that people use on a daily. So 
they're not just put on a shelf or in a drawer. Some of the gifts that I've seen over the years that I thought were really creative, one, especially in these day and ages, to go hand sanitizer, hand sanitizer on the go that has your logo on it. Eyeglass cleaners. Everybody has a pair of sunglasses or a pair of reading glasses. Those types of things that you would use on a day to day that people are like, oh, I need this. I'm going to throw this in my purse or I'm going to throw this in my car. And now every time they're cleaning their, their sunglasses, there's an eyeglass cleaner with your logo and your mission you know, tagline on there. Angelique, I have to thank you for your time today. This has been some great information and it gave us kind of an insight to some of your experiences as well. Thank you so much for sharing with us today on Impactability. Thank you, Joe, for having me. We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to get to our second guest, someone who has specialized in specific stewardship gifts. And some of the ideas that he's going to share will blow your mind. You're listening to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. I'm Joe Turner. We'll be right back. A good, strong board can be the lifeblood of a nonprofit. A passionate and motivated board member can make all the difference to your organization. If your board has a clear vision, shared values, and a sound strategy, your nonprofit can soar. But first, you need to find good board members, align their skills with your goals, train them in the many facets of being a good board member, and keep them motivated. At Sukup Strategic Solutions, our team evaluates the effectiveness and efficiency of your organization's systems in place. We define processes to ensure your organization functions at its best so you can grow your programs and reach more people. We specialize in board recruitment, development, and performance, along with helping you set up or revise policies, establish and kickstart your committees, and lots more. We have facilitated in hundreds of board meetings and retreats and can develop a plan for your board to make it the best it can be. To find out more, visit SukupStrategicSolutions.com and schedule a free consultation. That's S-O-U-K-U-P StrategicSolutions.com. Maximize your nonprofit's impact with Sukup Strategic Solutions. Welcome back to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Turner. Today, it's all about stewardship, how we say thank you to our donors. Now, obviously, your genuine gratitude for the gifts you receive should lead to stronger donor relationships, as we talked about in the first half of our discussion today. If you're not thanking your donors in a meaningful way, eventually, the level of your funding is going to begin to drop, and it will become even harder to to retain the donors that you have. So when it comes to stewardship, there are so many ways to say thank you to your donor, but for your major donors, how specifically are you thanking your donors? Obviously, thank you card and phone call, we get that, but what about a nice gift to thank your donors for their generosity? And what should that gift be? For answers to these questions, we're going to welcome our second guest, Robert Paul, to the program. Robert is a business leader and entrepreneur with 35 years of B2B sales experience. He's built two office supply companies from the ground up and is currently the president of Swag World, a company that specializes in stewarding gifts, among other things. And he has helped nonprofits come up with many unique ideas on how to thank donors. Robert, welcome to Impactability. Thank you. Robert, you've been doing this a long time. When it comes to stewarding a major gift donor, what are some things we need to keep in mind? You need to know your audience. Philanthropy is competitive. Price isn't necessarily that important. It just has to be something that has a perceived value by the recipient. I want to talk about one of the gifts that you were telling me about with the the custom glasses and everything, that whole thing. And you and I talked before and you walked me through that. And it's such an amazing story about how how you did your homework and then the results, the huge payoff that you had. Yeah, so it's a college in Philadelphia, a small college. 
uh, I met with the vice president of major gifts. So basically what they're doing is they're going after the alumni association. So they're going after folks that went to the school and then they go after folks that didn't go to the school, but are super philanthropic and they're philanthropic towards colleges and they're philanthropic towards Christian colleges and, and so forth and so on. So how do they go out and impress those folks that are not giving to start giving to this college? And how do they continue to get donations from the heavy hitters that are alum and have been giving to the college? So long story short is what they used, what they did is they used to have a big party. They would invite these folks to a party. And the party would be top shelf and open bar and blah, 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 and all that. And at the end of the evening, they would present uh, the attendees with an Amazon gift card, a $200 Amazon gift card, which is a pretty nice gift. So people were very happy with that. You know, I'm sure they would go home and at some point spend it on whatever they spent it on. Let's say they spent it on a new pair of shoes. But I can promise you, after they spent it, when they look down at their shoes, they're not thinking about who gave them these shoes. They're just thinking, about well, I love these shoes. After a year, it's totally off their mind. So you're not getting that exposure and top of mind that you have to get for as long a period of time as you can with those folks. So what we ended up doing is we, you know, we asked questions about the demographic. Most of these people were were guys and they were over 60. And so they invited people to the party. We designed a custom box. It's called Kitting, K-I-T-T-I-N-G, to fit a bottle of Johnny Walker Green and two beautiful rocks glasses that I had made. Absolutely beautiful. And they were etched with the college's logo and something to the effect, welcome to the heavy hitters club, something like that. Okay. Inside the box was a tray that was designed to hold that bottle of scotch and those two rocks glasses. And there's something called an unboxing experience. Unboxing is exciting to a lot of people. Hey, like what's inside, right? Uh, so much so that uh, like me, when I get a box for whatever reason, instead of ripping it open because I want to see it, I'm looking at the return address. I'm looking at the label and I'm trying to figure out who this is from. So, uh, they had a box. They opened it up. There was a customized letter in the inside of the front flap. Uh, it was all branded. There was a, a beautiful presentation of the two rocks glasses and the bottle of scotch. Now they're part of something special. So they're proud to put those on their desk or on their bar at home or the bar at the office or, or whatever it happens to be. And this college experienced more people calling to say, hey, you know, what are you guys doing next year for your party? What's your gift next year? So that's what you want, right? Top of mind for a long period of time and people wanting to come back. So it worked well for them. But, you know, you're talking about gifts and I'm wondering, because we've talked about everything from the, the rocks glasses to gift cards and everything in between. So I'm wondering if there's a standard gift or do you recommend that people always have something unique or maybe even a mixture of both? What, do you, what would you say? Um, I guess unique is relative to people. Uh, like I have two brothers that, you know, have done well for themselves. Getting them a birthday present for me is virtually impossible. If they want something and they can afford it, they probably go out and buy it and have it. So like, what do I get them? So if it's that kind of person, you probably have a lot of nice things. So what are you going to do for them? Right. 
again, you need to know your audience. And it's not necessarily price. It doesn't mean that you have to spend a lot of money because this is a very wealthy person. That might help, but I don't think you have to do that. You told me a story about a puzzle. To me, I thought that if Mr. and Mrs. Jones have, you know, buku dollars, but they are one of your donors because they really are interested in your organization and, and, and seeing you thrive and, and do the good work that you do in the community, but they don't want anything, they don't need anything, but the puzzle was outstanding. Share that one with our audience. The first puzzle I did was during COVID. And this employer had most of their employees at home. As with most companies, they want their employees to stay integrated with the company and, you know, and feel teamwork and passion about the company. So what we did is we had a, a puzzle made. On the 100P puzzle was uh, for them, it was some kind of riddle or something that was supposed to come up with the answer for. And they were to do that. It was a Zoom call. They had everybody there with their gifts in the Zoom call. And uh, it was a contest who came up with it first. And the puzzles can be done any way you want. You could use that as a thank you. Yeah. I think that's a very cool way of thanking people, of keeping employees engaged or keeping clients engaged. It's all about engagement. And those types of things uh, will do that, even though it's not going to... I mean, it probably will not keep you top of mind. I mean, it's unlikely these folks are going to just be putting these puzzles together over the next year, but they're going to remember it when you you become top of mind with them again. Through phone call or letter. Oh, yeah. They're the people who have that cool puzzle. Yeah. The thing I like is when we talked about this before, uh, we were talking about the, the organization that maybe services children, does things for children, and you've got maybe a, a, a group of pictures or maybe just one picture of a, of a youngster with, with a, a paper-made sign that says, thank you. And then you turn that image into a puzzle and send that. And, you know, as we said, for the person who has everything, they would probably love that gift. Yeah. I mean, we did something similar to that for Big Brothers and Big Sisters. I'm on, that, I'm on the board of Big Brothers and Big Sisters. And it was after our big fundraiser, we had a, a picture taken of all the kids uh, in front of a backdrop and it came out real nice. And all you would have to do is take that photograph and put it on a puzzle. And that, again, is a very cool way of being unique and thanking somebody. You could even you can even customize the box that the puzzle comes in if you wanted to. All it takes is being creative to do the right thing. And I think, you know, we said at the very beginning, and I keep going back to it over and over again, but it it says basically what our takeaway is today. And that is very simple. Know your donors, period. Yeah, take some time. And, you know, 30 years ago, it would have been tough, but now it's not. You just go online and Facebook and LinkedIn, like we talked about before, and find out. I'll, I'll give you an example or something that I don't do for gifting, but I do to stay top of mind. If they're on LinkedIn, they probably have the college they attended. So I have all that information if it's available for my entire database. So let's just say for a moment, let's just say for a moment, you went to the University of North Carolina. 
but you know they're going to be, you know, they're an incredible basketball team, always have been an incredible basketball. Let's say they win the national title. First thing I'm going to do, I'm going to bring up all my UNC people, all of them. And I'm going to send something out to them that speaks to them winning the national title. It could be anything. These are the things that people appreciate and say, hmm, these people have their stuff together. They're paying attention. Yeah. There's so many things you can do. But you ha- yeah, it takes, you know, scrubbing your database is really important, man. It takes a lot of time. I'm glad you pointed that out. That's, that's a great way to finish this, not only knowing your database, but also keeping your database clean. We appreciate your time. I mean, we can definitely agree that we've got to do the best job that we can of thanking our donors. And Robert, you've given us some great ideas. I'm stealing most of them, and I know our listeners are as well. Thanks for sharing your expertise with us today at Impactability. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Time now for another edition of Coach's Corner, where we take your questions, anything you're thinking about, anything you want to know more about. Maybe you've got a difference of opinion at the office and you'd like someone to help cut through the clutter. That's what Coach's Corner is all about. We take your questions. We ask our impact coaches for their answers. Absolutely free, except they only have five minutes in which to give you their answers. Today's question, really, really good one. And I've got Deborah Haley here. She is our impact coach today on Coach's Corner. Deborah, here's the question. Do you have any guidance on how a nonprofit can make their organization more community-centric? Really, really thought-provoking there. As I said, Deborah, you've got five minutes on Coach's Corner to answer the question. Your five minutes begins right now. All right. I'm taking on the challenge. And for a nonprofit to be community-centric, that's just those go hand in hand because your nonprofit is serving in the community. But more specifically, in terms of getting more involved, there's just a multitude of ways. Have the nonprofit leadership attend or speak at community events. There's always an opportunity for that. Nominate staff on the nonprofit, your clients, your volunteers for community awards. That's just a great way to be involved in the community, but it's also a great way to say thank you and to recognize those that are really making a difference. Another opportunity is to put articles in the news outlets or social media about your nonprofit's milestones and accomplishments. Another way is have your clients participate in community events For example, if you've got a major food build going on and it's in another nonprofit, but it's serving the community and broader audiences, that's a great way to um, have your clients participate, but also get word out about your nonprofit. Um, Create special events in the community to help make it a better place. For example, visit to senior centers and visit them over the holidays, bring them baked goods, something special. Uh, If you have a choir, you could sing at an event or a church or do a car wash as a fundraiser. That is always a great opportunity to get the word out and to have fun, raise a little money, and uh, get everybody participating. Another one is to partner with another nonprofit that would allow you to benefit from both organizations' missions. So look around and who is doing something that would benefit your clients that would also benefit 
their mission. So give that one some thought. Another one is to become a partner agency with United Way. And they are all about partner agencies and building coalitions and bringing nonprofits together to help each other with their missions and to create um, better experiences for clients and to create more impact. And if you've got a community foundation, which most nonprofits are serving in an area that do, um, support initiatives that they have ongoing. They always are looking for people to participate in the different events that they have planned. Um, This one may not be as applicable, but it's something to think about. And that would be establishing multiple sites for where you're serving across the community. And that just gets you out into the heart of where people live, go to school, go to work, socialize. Uh, My last idea would be to take clients on field trips and go to community places, i.e. take them to the courthouse, take them to city hall, police stations, fire stations. So you can become known by these different organizations, but also it's a great experience for your clients. So that's a pretty good list. I'm sure you're probably going to be thinking of some more of them, but I hope this gives you some um, things to really think about and maybe generate some other ideas that work really well for your nonprofit and hope it goes well. These are just great opportunities to have fun, be known, make a little bit of money. Sounds like great food for thought, Deborah. Thank you so much for being our impact coach today on Coach's Corner. Sure thing. If you've got a question for Coach's Corner, we want to hear from you. Email them to us at impactcoaches at impactability.net. Again, that's impactcoaches at impactability.net. And if you want to reach me, my email address is joe.turner at impactability.net. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app, and that way you'll get new episodes downloaded just as soon as they come out. Also, please give us a review or a rating so that your peers in the nonprofit industry can find us as well. I'm Joe Turner. Thanks for listening, and thank you for all you do to make the world a better place through your nonprofit.